this, and, and then um, he kept going to Eli. Eli, did you call me? Did you call me? And then finally it was, nope, it's the Lord calling you. Here I am, Lord. And uh, what a great thought that the Lord would call his little prophet Samuel, and Samuel would grow up to serve him in great ways, both as prophet and as judge. But, um, yeah, great song that God would speak to us and send us out. So if you would take your uh, Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Let's dig back into the scriptures, this great book of Galatians, chapter 5. And let me read the text that we're going to look at, but I'm going to start back in verse 13. Galatians 5.13. So follow along with me as we just review the scriptures that we've already studied, and then we anticipate some more verses to think about. God's word says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we now think about the Word of God and we think about the hymns and the songs that we have sung, they have encouraged us, they have challenged us, they have admonished us. And, and now we are, are ready to hear from the Holy Spirit as He uh, reminds us the truth of the Word and he, he enlightens the Word to us and then He gives us the power this week to obey. Thank you that we are called to walk by the Spirit. And doing so, we will not never fulfill the lust of the flesh. We just won't do it. So thank you, Father, that you've given us the person of the Holy Spirit to work in our life, to give us the desires and the ability to obey you and to please you. And I pray tonight, Father, that there would be spiritual growth and great, great, great strides in Christ-likeness, both individually and as a church. So help us, Father, to be slaves of one another, to love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us. Thank you again, Father, for the high calling with which we've been called. May we walk worthy to that way. Thank you again for the word of God and for our Savior whom we love. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5. Look with me again at verse, going all the way back to verse 13, just briefly. 
because the context of the works of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the Spirit here is, I believe, way back in verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. We've been called to freedom in Christ. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity or as a toehold or a, a, a jumping point for the flesh. All right? But through love, he goes, serve one another. The word serve, remember from a couple weeks ago, the word serve means to be a slave. So we are no longer to be slaves of sin or slaves of the law, but we are to be slaves. We are to be slaves to serve and love one another. So Christ has given us liberty so we could actually be in slavery. But the proper slavery, the slavery that is true freedom, is when I am called to love and to serve you. And you are called to love and serve one another. That's how it works in the family. So Paul knows the one thing that's, that's going to get in the way of loving and serving one another, as we are called in true freedom, the one thing that will get in the way is the flesh. There's going to be a battle and a contest with the flesh that lies within us. So Paul is now giving us the solution. We know this. No amount of laws will restrain the flesh. Is that true? I could give you a list of 20 things to do to be spiritual, and you will not, first of all, not be able to do them. Secondly, 20 is not enough. I mean, we could go on and on and on. And no amount of laws that I give you could ever change your heart, motivate you to obey, or give you power to obey. It just can't do it. No piece of paper and list of things will ever change or empower you to be godly. What we need is not more laws. We actually need a person who can dwell in us, live in our lives, empower us to obey, and give us the desires. And who is that? The third person of the Godhead. It's the Spirit. So six times Paul says we are to walk in the Spirit. We are to be led in the Spirit. We are to um, sow in the Spirit. So he, he's on and on in this, the end of this chapter, it's all about the Holy Spirit's work in our life. That is the only way that we are going to, in love, serve one another. You want victory over sin? It is only by walking in the Spirit. So this morning, oh, let's keep going. Verse quickly, verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word. We can sum up all of the requirements of God in one word. It is love. If we truly love God, we'll have no other gods before him. We'll honor his name. We will um, give him reverence. And if we love one another, we won't be operating in the works of the flesh. So all of the law really can be fulfilled in the word love. To love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us, or taken here from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. What was happening in the Galatian church? They were living under the law. And so if you're living under the law, all it does is make you sin more and more. It makes you, it stirs up and provokes you to sin. So they were biting, devouring, and consuming one another. Can you imagine one of the Galatian church services? Somebody would stand up and say something, and somebody would stand up and argue, and another person would swing a fist, and another one would yell and scream, and then pretty soon there's divisions and contentions, and they'd leave, and they'd go out to their chariots in the parking lot, or they'd take their walk home, and there'd be rocks being thrown at you. I mean, what a, what a, and Paul knew this is happening because they are not walking by the Spirit. They are rather fulfilling the lust of the flesh. So, Maybe a group of them were living under the law and sin was being provoked and stirred up, but some of them were using their liberty over here as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. So Paul says, stop. Here's your solution. Walk by the Spirit. It is your responsibility to walk. It is your responsibility to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like I said this morning, Ephesians 5.18. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So all of these are our responsibility. What's God's responsibility? Because it's not just, it's not our effort or our will power. It is Philippians 2, 
for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit works in my life, giving me the proper desires and the power to do it, and then I yield to the Holy Spirit, and I'm walking in the Spirit. I am not yielding to the flesh. So my first point this morning was the command. Your command is to walk in the Spirit. What's the promise? You will not ever fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you are walking in the Spirit, you cannot be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The problem is, where do most Christians live? Fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Why? Because the flesh is so easy. It can, I can be immediately gratified with my physical senses. So for me to get my way, demand my rights, fulfill my physical pleasures, would be instantaneous gratification. It is far easier to do that than to yield to the Holy Spirit, deny self, and follow Christ. But we have the ability with the new nature to do the good and refuse the evil. So that's the command. Walk in the Spirit, the promise you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. The desires of my flesh, they are evil. They have evil passions, evil desires, and they want something. They want my own way. They want, they want me to be number one. They want myself to be protected and elevated. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in me wants something else. He wants lowliness, gentleness, kindness, meekness, love. He wants all of those things. My flesh doesn't want any of that. So every day there's a battle in my life. My flesh wants one thing. The Holy Spirit wants another. And they are contrary to, an, to one another. So the Spirit doesn't want me to do the, the fleshly lusts. And my fleshly lusts don't want me to do the Spirit's will. So there's a raging battle in each one of us. What will you do about it? Whoever you present yourselves slaves to obey, that will be your master. You choose to fulfill your, the lust of your flesh, you'll be a servant of sin again. You choose to be a servant of righteousness, then you will please Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, that's the choice. That, by the way, is the normal Christian experience. That should be where everybody is walking, right there in, that, in those verses. So then, verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Take your Bibles. Go with me to Romans 8. This is one text I didn't get to this morning, so let me do it right now. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Think this, again, I want, I'm trying to make the idea of walking by the Spirit not something mystical where we're waiting for a certain leading and some jolt of the Holy Spirit, but I want it to be very practical. It's letting the word of Christ dwell in you. It's being filled, permeated, influenced by the, word, by the Holy Spirit as we saturate, saturate ourselves in the life of Christ. But look at Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law, for what the law could not do, meaning it had no power, it had no power. All the law could do was reveal my sin. It could not change me. It had no power to change my life. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. He did it. Through, uh, through sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's why. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So we are not lawless men and women. We don't live under the law. We're not saved by following the law, and we don't grow in sanctification under the rule of law. Not at all. But the law of God is written on our heart. It's to love. It is written in our heart, inside of us, by the Holy Spirit. And it is this, requ this righteous requirement of love is fulfilled in us 
here it says, who do not walk according to the flesh. So every Christian can either walk according to the flesh or you can walk according to the spirit. You can either walk by the spirit or you can fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you want to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, you can't do it according to the flesh. He goes on in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, this is a Christian. This phrase, according to the flesh, would speak of a believer who's fulfilling those evil lusts and passions. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. All right. So tomorrow, let's say tomorrow, 11 o'clock, something comes into your life, some tragedies, some problems, some difficulties, some obstacles, something has happened that now has just jolted you. You have, a, you have a choice of responding. If you set your mind on things of the flesh, you are going to submit to your evil impulses and desires of the sinful nature. True? It is depending on what you set your mind on. Remember the jelly donut broccoli illustration? If you set your mind on instant pleasure, you're going to eat the jelly donut. If you set your mind on the future, I don't want the hardening of the arteries, I don't want all the fat, I don't want this, I want... If you, if you set your mind on all that, then you, you'll make those right choices. So whatever you're thinking of tomorrow at 11 o'clock is going to dictate whether you're walking in the spirit or fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Then he goes on at the end of verse 5. But those who live according to the spirit, you're walking by the power of the spirit, um, the things of the spirit, that's what your mind is on, the things which are above. You're thinking of the cross, you're thinking of heaven, you're thinking of rewards, you're thinking of loving one another, placing others before you, on and on and on. All right. Then hop down to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, saved people, we are debtors. Isn't that true? We are debtors. But not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You guys, look at me. I owe nothing to my flesh. I was born with my sinful nature, July 18th, 1967, and it has been corrupt ever since. It did not change when I got saved. It didn't get better. It is still corrupt in its sinful desires. I don't owe my flesh anything. I lived 26 years in my, fle- in my sinful nature. I don't, owe, I don't owe my sinful flesh, my sinful nature, one more moment of obligation. I am not in debt to sinfulness. Who am I in debt to? Jesus Christ who rescued me out of it. That's my mindset. So I'm not a debtor to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, I don't think it means you will perish with, you'll lose your salvation. But it is, I think, you keep living according to the flesh, there will be a discipline in your life that could bring about a premature physical death. You will die. Listen, some of the sinful choices people make bring them to an early death. They do. Whatever drugs or whatever things you want to do to your body, you're going to shorten your life, and God will take you out of there in a hurry. So if you live according to the flesh, the ultimate end is ruin. You'll die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, who has to put to death the deeds of the body? We do. We mortify the flesh. We yield to the Holy Spirit. We say no to sin. We deny ourselves whatever immediate pleasures sin would offer. We say no to it. We have now uh, mortified the flesh. We put to death the deeds of the body. That is where we find life. Again, so everybody here has two options. This whole week, you'll either be walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh or back and forth between the two. So with that in mind, let's go back to Galatians. We'll spend the rest of our time just looking at what are the works of the flesh. If we were going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, what kinds of things would creep up in our life? 
Let's look at Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. Now, Paul is concerned. Paul is concerned about the believers in Galatia fulfilling the lust of the flesh, not walking in the spirit because it's going to destroy all of their human relationships. And so he now says, you want to know what fleshly living looks like? He gives us a huge list. And a lot of the list is relational. A lot of it is relational. It affects our relationships one with another. Here's how he begins, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are well known. They are obvious. Do you all agree? We really don't even need to read this list. We're all well, well, are well aware of if we see something on TV, if we see a behavior in our life or somebody else's life, we can immediately say, hmm, that definitely doesn't come from Jesus. The other day, I was talking to somebody, and the conversation was full of foul language, which I'm, you know, I'm not around that type of language ever. Even at school, nobody talks like that. The language with these adults was so vile that I, I think my face gave me away. And the man said, oh, I bet, Pastor, I bet your ears are ringing. I mean, I was horrified. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, this is what the sinful nature produces, this type of vile language, this type of grossness. I, I, I couldn't tolerate it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't stay. So, verse 19. These works of the flesh that, are manifest in, that can manifest themselves in our lives are, are clearly evident. He begins with this, adultery. Adultery is sexual relationships outside of marriage. Hebrews chapter 13 says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Husbands, wives, as married couples, any type of lustful thoughts or looking or, or actions outside of marriage, completely forbidden. Completely forbidden. You have been given a mate, a spouse by the Lord, that is the only one that that type of relationship is for. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Um, that is absolutely sacred. You made a covenant before God. Any type of, while being married, any type of thought life, lustful thinking, um, you name it, but even the very deed, God says, is absolutely forbidden. Where does that come from? That type of behavior comes from the flesh, the sinful nature. The Holy Spirit is completely opposed to it, wants nothing to do with that. The next word, fornication, this is the Greek word pornea. We get the word pornography from it. It is any, it is, it is any improper um, sexual, it's, it's sexual immorality, just in a very general sense. It is not related to marriage, it's just anything that is wrong, any type of sexual behavior that is wrong. Looking, it can be um, looking, it can be doing, you, you just name it. God says, that is not of the Holy Spirit, it is not of God, it is only from our sinful nature. It is from our sinful lusts. Has, has no place in the life of a Christian. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know who tried to compromise around this? In 1 Corinthians 6, to me, this is a powerful thing in counseling and in talking to others with, with different types of addictions. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know how the Corinthians had a slogan for everything? They had just a great way of making a quick slogan and saying, hey, this is the rule we live by. Not necessarily a biblical truth, but here's what they were saying in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Foods for the stomach 
and a stomach for foods. If you remember when I preached through Corinthians many years ago, in the city of Corinth was, a, was an acropolis, a big, a big mountainous rock, it, kind of at the edge of their city. And at the top of that was a temple to Aphrodite. And there was a, a thousand prostitutes that, by way of a religious ritual, would invite the men from the community to go up there. It was fornication. It was just completely fornication, forbidden by God and abhorred by God. But many of the Corinthian men thought, there's nothing wrong with that. Here's their slogan, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Food is a physical item. My stomach is physical. There's nothing spiritual about it. So the food, the physical food, can go to my physical stomach, stomach for the food. That's how God made them. In other words, my physical appetites, nothing sinful about it. So when it came to sexual appetites, nothing sinful about it. And they thought, we have freedom and liberty in Christ, just like we have food for the stomach. We can go up to the temple prostitutes or whatever, and we can commit all sorts of immorality. Here's what Paul says. But God will destroy both it and them. God is going to destroy that. So if you continue to, to, to live this way or think this way, you are completely wrong. At the end of verse 13, now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Listen, everybody, your body is to be dedicated and consecrated to the Lord only, okay? not to sexual immorality of any type, of any type. Then he goes on, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. So in verse 14, he says, you know why you should take care of your bodies and not allow any type of immor sexual immorality to take place? Because God is going to raise up this body from the ground. When this body dies, this body comes out. The same body. Do I want a glorified body for all eternity that committed those sinful passions on earth? No way. No way. I'm going to protect my body. It's consecrated and given over to the Lord. So the first reason is God the Father is going to raise up my body. So why would I do anything sinful with this flesh, with this physical frame? I'm not going to offer it for any type of immor sexual immorality. It is for the Lord, and the Lord is going to raise it up someday. But then he says, and because of our time, I'm just going to speed it up. Then the, in the same context, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't you know that you are in union with Christ? That when you became a believer, you are one with Christ? Whatever you do, Christ does. How dare you commit sexual immorality? For in doing so, it's almost as if Christ is doing it. You are so in union with Christ. So God the Father is going to raise up my body. How dare I do anything to it to dishonor the Lord? Not only that, but I'm in such union with this body, with Jesus. The third thing is, who dwells in me? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. This is a temple of God. So not only is God the Father concerned about my physical body, the, God the Son is concerned about my physical body because we are in such union, and the Holy Spirit's concerned about my body. Does God, does God care about what I feed it? Yes. Does God care with what I do with my appetites and affections absolutely he says if you're married that's the only place for proper sexual intimacy apart from that nothing apart from that nothing that's fornication and i'll tell you what the the number of people addicted to pornography and sexual things in the church is huge just look down at moose lake what's what is what the, what has brought those people there it was the first image, the first thing that hooked them. It is to be run, run from, flee from it, have nothing to do with it. 
All right, let's go back to Galatians. So Galatians, um, what are the works of the flesh? Adultery, fornication. Uh, the next word, he says uh, uncleanness. This word uncleanness always tied at the Apostle Paul to sexual immorality. Uncleanness is the idea of not being able to approach God because of some impurity. Any type of uncleanness is very, very general. Again, another word for sexual immorality. Look at the last word of verse 19. Lewdness, this word means without restraint. It means you are willing to commit such sexual immorality that you have no restraint and the you don't even care if the whole public knows about it. I mean, I can hardly stand listening to the news with all the things that people do that I can't even imagine. I'm no, I'm no longer at Moose Lake. I haven't been down at Moose Lake for a long time. But um, some of the things that, that, that have brought people there, I could not even think of. I don't even have that kind of imagination. It is, it is horrendous. That is the word lewdness. And where does that come from? The flesh. It comes from our sinful nature that lies within every single one, and it wants its desires played out in your life, and the Holy Spirit completely opposes it. That's your battle. Look at the next words, verse 20. Idolatry and sorcery. Two words about religious things. Idolatry is putting anything in place of God that you love more, that you would love something more than you love God. That's, that could be anything. All idolatry comes from the heart, comes from the sinful nature. The word sorcery, we get the word pharmacool, pharmacy from it, and it has the idea of drugs. You might have witchcraft in your Bible. In the biblical times, witches used poisons and drugs for a number of reasons. If they wanted to cast a spell, they could use poison. They wanted to kill somebody, poison. They wanted to abort a baby, poison. All of those things were involved in sorcery or witchcraft. You wanted to get some deed like that done, you'd go to a local witch, and she would prescribe a drug or a potion and, um, and, and use that. And that's the idea. So you can imagine where does abortion come from? Where does euthanasia come from? Where does um, the, drug, the drug issues, all of that comes from sorcery, idolatry, sorcery. It comes from the works of the flesh. And we would look at that and say, wow, I am so thankful those works of the flesh are crucified. They don't, I don't have an appeal to them. They don't have a part in my life. I don't want to look or do or go that direction. I just don't. I completely don't. But now the next part, the next nine, wow, these, these hit home. Look at the next one. Hatreds. It's plural in the Greek. Expressions of hatred. Now let's talk. Anytime that you have ought against somebody else, those expressions of hatred are coming from the flesh. They're not coming from the Holy Spirit. They're coming from the flesh. Many expressions of hatred where you don't have the unconditional love that you're willing to sacrifice for the other individual. That if that's not there, the absence of it is hatreds, expressions of hatreds. We are, on the other hand, called to love, where we are willing to give our life and sacrifice our possessions and our time and everything for the other. Expressions of hatreds come from the flesh. The next word, contentions. Because what do expressions of hatred lead to? Fightings. F fightings. Um, quarreling. Brawls. Verbal fights. Physical fights. All of that stems from the flesh, which is in everybody until the day you die. So, you, by the way, you're battling with this whether you think you are or not. You are. You're battling with each one of these. Contentions. Jealousies. We know what jealousies are. 
You are jealous when you are desiring something that somebody else has and you don't. So there's dissatisfactions, outbursts of wrath, angry moments where you're not getting your way and your temper boils over. Um, That just comes from the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. It is not of the Holy Spirit. We are not to be gratifying our our flesh by by living with outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. It means puffing yourself up and making yourself better than others. Dissensions, where you have fightings and hatreds, you also then have divisions, you have strife, you have groups. So-and-so doesn't like so-and-so, so-and-so won't speak to so-and-so. You don't want to sit next to somebody, you don't want to talk to them, you don't want to see them. All of those dissensions come from the flesh, they don't come from the Holy Spirit. And then heresies, again, more divisions and factions, envies and murders. All of those things are works that just flood out of our sinful nature. And the sinful nature in us, we know those passions and evil desires that all of this represent, that wants to rule our life. That wants to be found absolutely evident in in all of our doings here at the church and in your families and in the community. No wonder why the world is so wicked. No wonder why you can hardly turn the TV on or look at the news without seeing expressions of these all over the place. It is sick. It is gross. Do you want to know what's going to be great about heaven? Not one of the works of the flesh will be there. There will not be envies or jealousies, hatreds, outbursts of wrath. There won't be any sexual immorality. There'll be no lewdness, no uncleanness. There'll be no filthy language. There'll be none of that. There'll be no dissensions or fractions or strife. There'll be unity and peace and love. That is what heaven is. Can you, can you imagine? We can't because we don't, we don't, we've never lived any other way apart from this. But that is the life that, that Jesus Christ has called us to. This is what he has rescued us from, these works of the flesh. All right. And then he says this, um, drunkenness and revelries. Now, drunkenness. Of course, we know drunkenness is wrong, but I do believe in the Bible that there are two types of wine in the Bible. There's alcoholic beverages, and then there's the pure fruit of the vine. Both were called wine. In the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, the wine in the cluster, the grape juice in the cluster of grapes hanging on the vine was called wine. Is that alcoholic? No, you have to take it out of there and you have to add some sugars and you have to keep it at the right controlled temperature and add some yeast and then you can make the alcoholic beverage. But how much of it does it take to make you drunk? Who knows? I mean, does one sip? Yes, one sip begins to affect me. Two sips. At what point do I cross the line of drunkenness? At what point do I now manifest the flesh? Do you know every alcoholic and everybody who's fallen into a drunken stupor, you know how they got there? by taking their first sip of alcohol. It, does, it doesn't take long. It really, I'm sure it doesn't take long at all for somebody to go from one sip to a bottle or whatever they do. Um, that just is manifestation of the flesh. It is simply saying, I want something else to control me and satisfy me and influence me besides the Holy Spirit. But then this drunkenness leads to revelries. It is the idea of wild parties. It is drinking binges and wild parties and all of the things that go with it. That is what the flesh produces. No wonder why Paul said, I know what the problem in the church is, why you're biting and devouring and consuming one another. You're supposed to love one another as a slave to one another, but what's happening is the works of the flesh have just risen up. How do you, how do you not fulfill the lust of the flesh? 
Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the power of the Spirit. And then he says in verse 21, he says, um, and the like. He didn't even finish his list. How could he? That just simply is the beginning of a list. And he's not making a list as a legalistic rule. He's simply saying, if you live by the flesh, here's what's going to be evident in your life. He gives other lists as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he speaks about homosexuality and um, covetousness and uh, riotousness. He talks about a lot of things, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 5, take your Bibles. Let's go there very quickly. Go to Ephesians 5. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. So you are already in Galatians 5. Just go right over to the very next book, Galatians, or Ephesians 5, verse 3. But fornication, we already know that word now, that word pornea, um, any type of sexual immorality, and all uncleanness, that again is another word for sexual impurities, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, that's greediness, wanting something that you don't have, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Don't let anybody even try to attach that label to you at all. Who would ever want to say, oh, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I also have the label as a fornicator or as an unclean man? No way. Don't, have it, don't let it even be named among you. Verse 4. Neither filthiness, this word filthiness is shameless conduct. It's literally the word for obscene. Things that are obscene. Don't let obscenity even be, be named among you. Nor foolish talking, that's the Greek word morologia, meaning a lack of foresight or wisdom. Just being stupid with your talk. Don't let that be amongst you. Nor coarse jesting. This word, coarse jesting, it means well to turn, where you're just speaking about maybe not even godly things, but you're not speaking about anything so, so bad, but it is quick to turn to bad things. Don't even, that's coarse jesting. It is a conversation that can quickly go to evil and sin. Don't even, don't even go there. Uh, these things are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks is giving. But then he gives this disclaimer, verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. People that go to heaven, that they are not, that is not their behavior. That is the behavior of sinners that are perishing and going to hell. They don't have Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit. That is how their life is characterized. So how dare we, who are going to heaven as children of God, how dare we be characterized like the people that are perishing? We shouldn't live like them or think like them or act like them. It doesn't mean we're better than them. It's God's grace. It is simply God's grace and his spirit. But we don't act like the world. We don't bring the world in here and, and have it appeal to us or our children. We don't want our children living for the world or, or looking like the world. So Paul says the same thing back to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says the exact same thing to the Galatians, verse 21, the end of the verse here. He says, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Because there are many other things that could be put in this list, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, so it's not the first time he ever said this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People that live according to the flesh like this, 
they they're not going to, they're not planning they're not going to heaven they don't have the new nature and the holy spirit they're simply living in the nature that they were born with a sinful nature rebellious against god then paul says how can you be characterized by that you're you're different you're children of god you've got the holy spirit the new nature how dare you go back and serve those lusts in flesh paul says it shouldn't be that way but on the other hand Something that the Spirit grows in our life, it's all of these good things. And these are the things that should be found manifest in our lives all the time. And next Sunday morning, we'll look at love and joy and peace, and then we'll go on and, and look at how we have crucified the flesh with his passions. And then he gets into our community. He gets into our church. And he says, if anybody is overtaken by a trespass, what do we do about it? Do we just cut him off and let him go? Somebody is overtaken by the flesh, the flesh rises up in one of our own church family. Do we just cut them off and say, whoa, we, we don't want anything to do with you? That's the flesh. Or what's our response to that? Because can you imagine if the Galatians heard that much and then they looked around and they said, oh, so-and-so is manifesting the work of the flesh. They're overtaken by a trespass. What are you going to do with them? Paul says, here's what you do with them. You, there's something we have a responsibility for. And so then we're going to get into that, and then we'll, by then, just getting ready to wrap up the book. Big stuff, isn't it? So, again, walk in the Spirit, walk by the power of the Spirit, and you're not going to be manifesting those sinful behaviors. Don't become a slave to the old man, to the old nature. We've been set free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for reminding us about these works of the flesh. The world around us, that's all we see. We see it, we hear it. We are tired and weary of our culture, which emphasizes sexual immorality. They, they idolatrize, they, idol, uh, they love witchcraft and sorcery and psychics and drugs and revelries. They like dissension and fighting and harsh words, outbursts of wrath, hatreds. That is what our world loves and feeds on. But Father, we don't. We don't enjoy it. We don't love it. And we know that this flesh lies within us and it wars against the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit wants something different for us. Father, this week, we yield to the Holy Spirit. We want to walk in his power according to his desires. We want the life of Christ to be lived out in us. Thank you that the life that we live is only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So keep us separate from the world. We don't want to look, act, or smell, or think like the world. We want to reach the world with the gospel. We care about the lost. We care about the fact that they're heading to hell. And we know that when they hear the gospel, they could be freed from sin. And then they can begin to grow the fruit of the Spirit in their own life. So help us this week to be aware of the gospel with the lost and help us to be aware of walking in the Spirit in our own lives. And we do this to the honor and glory of Christ. Amen.